0: We are starting this morning a new series for 10 weeks called Doctrines, Doctrine, Passions, and Practices of Mercy Hill Church. What we want to do is do a survey of basic Christian teachings from Genesis to Revelation. So it will be helpful for people, maybe you're just starting to learn about Jesus, you really haven't come to the place yet where you're ready to commit your life to him. That It will be helpful for you because you'll learn more, get some of the maybe jigsaw puzzle pieces put in place. Or if you've been a follower of Jesus for decades, I'm trying to make it helpful for you as well. And we're also doing this because this is going to be functioning. that I'm going to be taking our membership class material and doing it in kind of sermon form. Although you're seeing we got a lot of material to cover here. So be praying for me for wisdom. Let's pray right now. I need wisdom to know how much to put on each point here. I get really enthusiastic working on this stuff. So let's pray for God to give us grace and move upon us this morning. I'm so excited, Lord, about this series and what you're already doing in my heart and what I anticipate you're going to be doing in us as a church through this. Pour out your Spirit upon us, I pray. Help us understand what your Word is saying, and not just understand it, but be transformed and strengthened and encouraged by it. And help me, Lord, as I teach, preach this material that you'd give me wisdom, that you'd give me more of your heart about these amazing truths that I get to talk about here in front of these people. And Lord, strengthen us, unite us, build us for your glory, for the good of San Jose, for this impact of this church, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to start off talking about uh, a game that my grandfather used to play with me when I was about six or seven years old. I think probably seven. My grandpa, you know, he was a radio evangelist, and and uh, he he'd play this game. He'd come over to our house and he'd say, "Now, Stevie, if, if the house was burning down, what would you want to take with you? But you know, would you want to make sure one one thing you would take with you? What would it be?" Okay, and i and I knew what he wanted to hear me say. It, it was the Bible. Okay, that's it. And so. So I would always say, you know, the Bible, Grandpa. He would say, oh, Stevie, that's right. You know, It's so important, you know. So, you know, but at that time, that was more to make him happy. It wasn't really the truth of my heart. It wasn't until I was about uh, 17 years old, 10 years later, that God brought his saving power upon me through Jesus Christ and gave me a new nature and changed my heart. And, and one of the results of that change is that I loved the Bible. I mean, it was a whole different ballgame. And you know, I'd gone to church all my life and tried to read and just I wasn't that interested, you know. But, but when I was saved, that changed. And when I would read the scriptures, not every time, I don't want to overstate this, but often when I would read the scriptures thoughtfully and prayerfully, especially as I got a little older, I would meet Jesus in the truth of his word. And I can't tell you, since then hundreds of times probably thousands i don't want to exaggerate i have turned to god's word in times of discouragement and fear and loneliness and hopelessness and despair and temptation and you know you, you name it and time and time again god has never failed me open up the scriptures pray, read, say I'm not seeing it, I'm not feeling it, I don't know if I even believe it right now. I believe help my unbelief, and he comes and and through the truth of God's word brings strength and encouragement and faith and you meet the living God in the truth of the scriptures. And so what I'm praying will happen through this morning is that that you'll be persuaded that to, to so that if your house was burning down, okay? One of the things you'd want to take would be your Bible. Now, I know I've got a bunch of Bibles in my house, so I'd have to decide which one to take, you know, and I've got my Bible program on my computer, I want to take that too, and anyway, it's a little more complicated these days, but but I'm praying that that as a result of this morning, looking at the Bible doctrine about the Bible, that you would be profoundly impacted, and that you would say with the psalmist in Psalm 119, oh, how I love your law, your word, it is my meditation all the day. That's what I'm praying will happen. So let's let's dig in. And I'm just going to, like, I, I wrote this all up for you so you could take this home. There's scriptures here we will not be turning to. I've included them so you can be studying them on your own. Um, I'll be having a packet like this every week for the next ten weeks, Lord willing. And so I'm going to kind of read and make comments and try to keep tabs on the time. And God is going to help us with all this. Okay, number one, as human beings. We face questions of huge importance. I grew up with uh, dachshunds and beagles, and basically their passion in life was to follow the sun as it moved across the living room floor. You know how dogs do that? Okay. They don't care about questions like, who are we? Why are we here? Just where the sun's moving to, right? How should we live? We're not animals. We're created in God's image. We can lift above and, and look at the big picture and say, what's going on? And so we have the the honor and the huge weight of being able to ask questions like this. I mean, if you're wrong on answering these questions, it's a frightening prospect. And if you're right, it's an exhilarating prospect. So we face these huge questions. And there's three typical ways of answering them. I was a philosophy major at UCSB. And here's the ways that philosophers answer these questions. Although the philosophers all agree that none of these really work and they spend a lot of time telling about why each other ones don't work but here's the three basic ways empiricism starting with what we can see and touch rationalism where you just start with ideas that you think are clear in your mind and kind of build a system from that or mysticism where you try to make a direct connection to the supernatural mystically experientially but philosophers mostly say these aren't helpful they don't give us certain knowledge and god's word agrees but here's the good news Number two, God has revealed himself in and through creation, in and through his mighty acts in history, and in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Turn to page 1001 in these Bibles we passed out. Hebrews 1, 1 and 2. I want you to see that. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God is not silent. God loves us. God communicates to us clearly. He doesn't play hard to get. He reveals himself to us. He's a God who speaks. And you can see that in Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. That's speaking about Old Testament time before Jesus came. God spoke. He wasn't silent. He wasn't elusive. He wasn't hidden. He talked to people. Verse 2. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, Jesus Christ. He sent his own Son. The Word became flesh. God came to earth in the person of Jesus Christ, fully God and fully man. He has spoken to us in or by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, And through whom also he created the world. So God has revealed himself. Creation, his mighty acts in history, and in his son Jesus. And then continuing in number two, and God has revealed these events. Creation, his mighty acts in history, the coming of Jesus. He's revealed these events and their meaning in the Bible. So in this book, the Bible, God's revealed creation, his mighty acts in history, and the coming of Jesus. And what all that means for us. So we don't need to search for God. Where's God? Where is he? Where is he? God has revealed himself to us, clearly, in a book. Number three, this book, the Bible, made up of 66 separate books. 39 in the Old Testament, books written before Jesus came, and there's kind of three different categories. One way to look at it, Genesis through Esther, the history from creation up through with the nation of Israel to 400 years before Christ came. The book of Job, Psalms, Proverbs through Song of Solomon. These are literary works, songs, poetry, wisdom, literature. And then Isaiah through Malachi is the prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, and so on. And then there's 27 New Testament books. You can just look at the table of contents in your Bible and you can see the breakdown. 27 of them. These are books written after Jesus came to earth, and you can break those down into a couple of categories. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the Gospels, all about Jesus' coming, life, death, resurrection. Then you've got the book of Acts, which is the history of the early church. You've got letters to the churches from the book of Romans to the book of Jude. Then you've got the book of Revelation at the end, which is John gets a vision from Jesus of the, the history of the church, Jesus' second coming, and eternity, heaven and hell and eternity. Now I would encourage you, just as a side note, to... If you don't already have the books of the Bible memorized in order, I would strongly encourage you to work on that this week. It's not that hard. In fact, I think there's like songs that you can maybe. Does anybody have one of those cassettes for like kids? Anybody have one of those? <coughs> Nobody does. You do? Okay, they're around anyway, so you can. There's a little song to it. But anyway, I would really encourage you. Otherwise, it's like you know, where is Isaiah after all? Well, you'll know it's roughly where it is. Okay, so my point in these first three, three is that God loves us and he is not elusive or playing hard to get. He has communicated to us clearly. Creation, clear communication. His mighty acts in history, clear. The coming of Jesus, crystal clear. And then God's word is the description of all of that and the meaning of them in written form for us to read. He loves us. He's given us clear revelation. Now, a lot of people today have skepticism about the Bible. Let's kick up the slide from the Da Vinci Code, Joe. Da Vinci Code, right? What was this guy's name? I forget. He was talking to Sophie. Anybody remember what his name was? The professor guy? Okay, good. It's probably good you don't remember. <laughs> go, go through all of them, okay? Here's his dialogue from the book. Um, this professor guy, which nobody can remember his name, which is good, says, The Bible did not arrive by facts from heaven. He's talking to Sophie. And uh, she says, I beg your pardon? And he says, the Bible is a product of man, my dear, not of God. The Bible did not fall magically from the clouds. Man created it as a historical record of tumultuous times, and it has evolved through countless translations, editions, and revisions. History has never had a definitive version of the book, and she answers, okay. Now, anybody ever heard anything like that from anybody else? Okay, It's a very common viewpoint of the Bible. Now, here's what I want to suggest to you. you may, this may be your opinion right now, and we love you. We're glad you're here. Um, you may have heard this from somebody else, and this troubled you. This maybe hasn't been your opinion, but you've heard people say it, and you've wondered. You've seen it on TV or whatever. Let me give you some information, and I just want to ask you to weigh the evidence. Just consider some of the historical evidence, because I don't think that that description, I know the Vinci Code is a book of fiction, but people have really been swept up by it, and a lot of people believe what that professor was saying. I want to show you why I don't think that's accurate. Number four. The Old Testament books, where did the Old Testament books come from? 39 books. They were written by men called prophets. Moses, Isaiah, Jeremiah, and so on. The New Testament books were written by apostles, or sometimes there was what's called an amanuensis, somebody who took who like took dictation from Paul. Um, so it's either written by apostles or their close associates, Matthew, Paul, Peter, etc. So who are these guys, prophets and apostles, and why should we care so much about what they wrote in this book? That's a good question to ask. I want you to understand this. Why should we care what prophets, apostles wrote? It's because both the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles were specially gifted by the Holy Spirit to speak and write perfect truth from God. Now, if you're skeptical about that, you think, oh, come on. Okay, well, I would just appeal to you, if there's a God who's created the universe, couldn't God do that? Of course he could. He could, right? So, and the Bible says he did. Um, you can look at Second Peter one twenty-one, John 14.26 on your own. I would encourage you to look those up. But that's where you'll see that this is what the Bible teaches about the Old Testament prophets and the New Testament apostles. Okay, now, why does do our Bibles contain these 66 books? How many have heard that the church... Um, kind of picked and chose which which books they want to include. There were some they didn't like so much, some they did did like because it was kind of political or whatever. You probably all heard that. Okay, So why do our Bibles contain these 66 books? Let's start with the Old Testament. At Jesus' time, there was an Old Testament. There was a a body of literature called the Law and the Prophets. Sometimes people call it the Law and the Writing of the Prophets. Sometimes they just called it the Law. But there was one body of literature, and it's the same 39 books that we have now in our Old Testament. Same 39 books back then as we have now. And Jesus described that collected body of 39 books as God's Word, as written by, by prophets who were gifted by God to speak truth from God. And so Jesus himself affirmed that those 39 books are God's Word. That's where we get the Old Testament. Is that clear? Okay. Okay. And you can see some scriptures here, Matthew five seventeen through 18, Luke twenty four forty four, where Jesus affirms that. What about the New Testament books, the 27 books of the New Testament? It was not because the church decided, let's give authority to this book, let's give authority to that book, we'll include those in. We're not going to give authority to that one, we don't like it. We like this one, let's give authority to this one. That's not how it happened. A lot of people think that. Here's how it happened. Paul, for example, wrote the book of Romans to the church at Rome. Paul's an apostle, gifted by God to write truth directly from God. So he wrote this letter to the church at Rome. Truth from God himself. Sent it to Rome. The, Rome. the Roman church received it, knew that it was by an apostle, made copies of it. Copies were sent to Jerusalem, to North Africa, to Syria, to Antioch. Copies were sent all over the place. And everyone who got a copy of that, they regarded Paul's writings as scripture. As you can see in Second Peter chapter three verse sixteen, I've got that here in your notes. That's just right there into verse six. You can see that. That verse is important. Peter refers to Paul's writings as scripture. So Paul wrote a letter to Rome. Copies were made and sent all over the place. And from the ver- that very moment, Paul's letter was viewed as scripture. And so when Paul wrote 1 Corinthians, that was viewed as scripture, two letters. When Matthew wrote his gospel, apostle, that was viewed as scripture, copies made, sent all over the place. And so as as scripture was written by the apostles and copies were sent all over the place, collections started to be put together of the books written by the apostles. So, the church didn't come onto this collection of books and say, you know, we need a Bible, let's, that one, we'll give that one authority, that one, that one, that one. All that the church did was recognize which books were written by the apostles. It was already being recognized all through the Mediterranean basin, all around Asia Minor, and so that's where the, new, the 27 books of the New Testament came from. It's because the church, church didn't give authority to these books, the church recognized the authority that was already in these books. It's like the difference between picking up a rock, spray-painting it with gold and saying, we're going to call this gold. That's not what happened. It's that you pick up a massive gold nugget and you say, whoa, this is gold. That's what the church did. Gold, 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 gold. It is gold. It's from the apostles. There were books like the Gospel of Thomas. Anybody heard of the Gospel of Thomas? That's the one the Da Vinci Code has made famous. Um, Gospel of Thomas, most all scholars agree, was written around 160 A.D., Not by Thomas, okay? I mean, most all scholars agree with that now. That's why the church didn't include the Gospel of Thomas in. Thomas didn't write it. It wasn't written by an apostle. It was written after the apostles all died. It wasn't right. I mean, you can read it today. It's an interesting book. I've read it. Uh, It's not the Bible. It's not from God. Number seven. We do not have the original Hebrew or Greek manuscripts any books of the Bible. Now, that shouldn't be a surprise to anybody because we don't have the original manuscripts of hardly any historical documents. We don't have Shakespeare. You know, We don't have you know, all kinds of documents because these are all written on biodegradable materials. You know, They're all written on papyrus. They're written on uh, vellum, which is sheepskin, materials which deteriorated over time. And so we do not have the original Hebrew Old Testament or Greek, New Testament manuscripts of any books of the Bible, but we do have hundreds of copies of these original manuscripts. Let's, let's take a picture of a manuscript up here. Okay, there's, That's what they look like. Okay, That's one written on vellum, I think. That's the sheepskin one. That's just a picture of an ancient New Testament manuscript. And now go to the next top right. The point I want to make from this chart, I won't dwell on it too long, is that the Massive quantity of copies of the New Testament or and Old Testament books is huge compared to all other historical documents that nobody quibbles as to whether we have accurate documents or not. Okay, for example, take Tacitus's Annals of Imperial Rome. Anybody read that? Okay. Well, all right. Uh, We have two ancient copies. We don't have the original. Two ancient copies. And the length of time between when it was originally written, which we don't we don't have that, and the earliest copies that we do have, the two that we do have, is seven hundred plus years. Long time, two copies. Josephus's The Jewish War. Okay? Anybody read that? It's a good document to read. Um, we have nine copies. Don't have the originals, nine copies. And the length of time between when it was originally written, we don't have that document, and the earliest of the nine copies that we do have is 900 years. But nobody quibbles as to whether we have accuracy or not, because we've got enough for that. Homer's Iliad. Tell me you've heard of Homer? Homer's Iliad. <laughs> okay. You're lying, aren't you? I can tell. Okay. Yes. Say yes, honey. Okay. We have 650 copies. Don't have the original. 650 copies of Homer's Iliad, and the length of time between when, it, when Homer originally wrote it, we don't have that copy, and the earliest of the 650 copies that we have is 1,000 years. And we all are comfortable reading Homer's Iliad thinking that we've got what he wrote, because you can compare the manuscripts. Okay, Now, check out the New Testament. This is astonishing. We have 24,000 copies, manuscripts, okay, various portions of it, 24,000 manuscripts. And I thought, to be fair, let's divide that by the 27 books. This is just going to give you an average. Okay, I, I didn't tally up exactly. That would have taken hours and hours. But if you take the 24,000 copies, we don't have the originals, but the 24,000 copies and divide it by 27 books, that would mean that on average, each book in the New Testament has 888 copies. Just on average. okay? Which is more than 2, more than 9, more than 650. okay? And the, get this out, the length of time between when the New Testament books were first written, we don't have those original documents, And the earliest of the copies that we have is a hundred years. We have a wealth of manuscript evidence. There's no basis at all. Well, let me read the next paragraph. You'll see what I'm saying. The vast majority of these manuscripts agree with each other in everything except for minor spelling or word order issues. There is no basis for saying that the church has corrupted the original documents. This can be verified by studying the thousands of Greek and Hebrew manuscripts. They were collected from all over the Mediterranean basin, from Syria, from Egypt, from North Africa, from Antioch, from Jerusalem, from Galatia, from you know, Corinth, from Ephesus, from Rome, collected from all over there, and you can, you can compare them all. And in fact, in, in, in my Bible, at the bottom of the page, I've got footnotes which tell me when a manuscript has a different reading than the one they included in there. And it's all very minor, minor stuff. Like, okay, like, like these three words were inverted, or, you know, they added this phrase, um, and it was so. Or it's like, okay, okay, you know, okay, you know. But see, there's no da Vinci conspiracy going on here. You can see for yourself any variance in the manuscripts, in the footnotes in the bottom, at least of the Bible that I'm using. And you can compare them. And there's just... It's nothing. It's just nothing. There's no doctrines at stake. There's no, you know, the deity of Christ. No. Uh, the cross. No. God's existence. No. You know, apostolicity. No. Those aren't the issues. The issue is just minor, minor, minor stuff, all of which you can see at the bottom of the Bible. So, so we're going public here, Right? We're going public, it's all the evidence is there for the public to read. There's no conspiracy, nothing hidden. You can look at it for yourself. Every single variant that's of any substance at all is at the bottom of the Bible. Does that make sense? Okay, <clears throat> don't need to belabor that point if it's not of concern to you. But I would guess many people in your neighborhood and at your workplace think, yeah, the church probably messed up the Bible. They, 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 political things going on, they, we, don't, we can't really be confident in it. Not true. We have thousands of manuscripts going back to within 100 years of when the originals were written. And uh, no basis for thinking that there was any kind of conspiracy. No basis for thinking that the church has corrupted the Bible in any way. Number eight. There's lots of historical, archaeological, and prophetic evidence showing that the Bible is the word of God. I mean, historical stuff comes together, archaeological things are found and dug up, confirming what the Bible teaches, prophetic evidence, I mean the fact that the Messiah would come in this way, in this place, doing this, and then Jesus came in this way, doing this, whatever the other one was I just said. I mean it's amazing. All these prophecies, all this fulfillment, it's astonishing. So there's all kinds of archaeological, historical, prophetic evidence that the Bible is the Word of God. That the main way I'm reading number eight again here, that we know the Bible is God's word, is because when God frees us from our pride, from our sin, by the saving work of Jesus, we don't totally get free of pride or sin then, but it's it's broken. It's a change. Like when I was 17. It's a change. And then you're able to own up to God as he's revealed in this book, and it's self-authenticating. You see God in this book. God's here. This, this is God. It's like this. If, let's just put the Bible aside for a second. If, if God were to show up in your living room this afternoon, God, God, creator, God, you wouldn't say, how do I know you're God? You wouldn't say that. You'd be on your face. Okay, you know, God is self-authenticating. I mean, like if Jan walks up to me, I know she's Jan because it's Jan. She's self-authenticating. When God's glory and majesty and wisdom and power and sovereignty shine forth from the pages of the scripture, as they do all the time, and our eyes are opened to see what's there, just what's there, this is God. This is God's Word. It's self authenticating. That's the most powerful way. You don't need to have hundreds of archaeological arguments or historical arguments. Those are all there. They're true. If you have that bent, go for it. The evidence for this being God's Word is just massive, and there's no evidence to the contrary. I haven't found anything. I mean, I, I like to look at this new stuff that comes up, and it's not. But the main way all of us can know this is God's word is because when you read it, you see God in it. You say, subdue my pride. Get my own agenda out of the way. I'm afraid you're going to tell me I'm doing something that's sin. I've got to stop and change. Remove that from me. I want you and your will only. Open my eyes to see you and to, to come clean and to come to terms with you. And you see and you meet God in the pages of the scriptures. Now, that's not the Holy Spirit whispering, it's the Bible. Okay? No no no. It's the Bible. It's God's word. L- d- look at it. It's here. The evidence is here. Not a whisper, pages. Not a whisper words. God here revealing himself. <laughs> Number nine. Turn to page nine hundred and ninety six in the Bibles we just passed out. Second Timothy three, sixteen and seventeen. Doing pretty well time-wise. Okay, I'm feeling good. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. This is such an important scripture to understand. Scripture. Paul wrote this second letter to Timothy. Copies were made. It was sent out all over Asia Minor. Remember we talked about that. All scripture, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is breathed out by God. Now, that's a metaphor. Okay? God is a spirit. Jesus took on a, a body, human form. God the Father isn't, isn't physical. This is a metaphor. All scripture is breathed out by God. And what that metaphor is meant to show, when you talk, say, say the, put your hand up here, and say the word, when you talk. Okay? Go ahead. When you talk. Feel that breath? When you talk? Okay. When you talk, you breathe. This breath comes out. That's what's being described here. For all scripture to be breathed out by God means it's God's words. His spoken words. When you talk, okay, you feel that. All scripture is breathed out by God. So all scripture is God's words. God's speaking. God's revelation. God's words. All of it is. And profitable, therefore, for teaching, for reproof, for correction and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be competent and equipped for every good work. So, all scripture is breathed out by God, which means it's the very words of God himself. Each book was written by a human author, Paul, Matthew, Peter, James, John, reflecting his time, culture, language, and background. It's not like... They became catatonic, and remember they started writing. My hand's writing. You know, what's going on here? This is a weird thing. That's not how it happened. Thinking, praying, I want to write a letter to the Romans. You've gifted me. Tell me to encourage the Romans. And Paul starts to write things that he's thinking, but God's working in his thinking, so that what's coming out is God's thinking. Perfectly. So each book was written by a human author reflecting his time, culture, language, and background. But God worked in such a way that what each human author wrote was perfect truth from God himself. Number ten. I've heard people say, I've read some blogs where people have said that the Bible, listen to this carefully, people said the Bible doesn't say that the whole Bible is God's word. The only part of the Bible that's God's word is those parts where Thus saith the Lord, and then something is said. Those parts are God's, or like, or like the red letter parts. Okay, I don't think that's accurate. Have any of you heard that? Or am I going after like a, a red herring here? Okay, not a real common thing you've heard. Maybe that's good, but I don't think that's right. Second Timothy 3 says that Scripture is the, the breathings of God, the words of God. And God's word, number 10 now, is not limited to those places in the Bible where, where just God is actually quoted. God's word is every word in every book of the Bible. Every word in every book of the Bible is God's word. You can see this in 1 Corinthians 14.37, where Paul gives a command, Paul's command, and he says, this is a command of the Lord, okay? because the Lord is working through Paul's command, so that Paul's command is also the Lord's command. Matthew one twenty two. Matthew says that Isaiah's words in Isaiah 7.14, Isaiah's words there, are words spoken by the Lord God, even though it's not in quotation marks from God, it was actually written by Isaiah, it was still spoken by the Lord God. And in Matthew 19.5, you know the verse in Genesis 2, where Moses writes, For this cause a man shall leave his father and mother, cleave to his wife, the two shall become one flesh. God didn't say those back there, quote-unquote. He didn't speak those right there. That was Moses writing. But Jesus says that's what God said. Okay? Because every word in the Bible, the words that Moses writes, the words that Isaiah writes, places where God is quoted or places where he's not quoted, it's all God's revelation. Does that make sense? I hope so. Okay. Number 11. I just want to give a brief summary of the message of the Bible. What what does the Bible say? And I I want you to read for yourself, but here's a summary. The message of the Bible has to do with God's existence, creation, the fall, sin, Adam and Eve, and then sins spread through the, the world. We've all sinned, just as Adam and Eve did. So God's existence, creation, the fall, sins spread through the world. The whole world is under God's curse. God's promise then in Genesis 12 to work through the lineage of Abraham, to work through somebody in Abraham's biological line to save people. And he would save people from every ethnic group. God is multicultural, multi-ethnic. Then we read about the history of Israel, the coming of Jesus, in the line of Abraham, the seed of Abraham, the lineage of Abraham. Here he is, the one promised back in Genesis 12. The coming of Jesus to live and die and rise again. So all who trust him will be forgiven, transformed. We read about the early history of the church, the call for Jesus' followers to pursue Christ-centered community and advance his mission in their families, neighborhoods, cities, and worlds. We read about the second coming of Christ, the final judgment, eternal heaven and hell. That's the meaning, that's the this, a summary of this book. So this story, creation, through final judgment, Jesus in the middle, this story is reality. This is what reality is. This is why you are here. You were born into this reality. This is what's really going on. There is a God. We have all rebelled against him. He loves us. He sent Jesus to pay for our sins so we could be changed and transformed. Brought back into relationship with him. And he calls us to to love each other and to to take his gospel out to the nations. And in the end will come, there will be a final judgment. This is the plot line of your story. Your life story is in that plot line. You can't opt out. That's it. This is what reality is. God has made it clear to us. He loves us. He's not playing games. He's given us a book. Okay? Now if you're skeptical, I mean, would God really give us a book? Well why not? I mean that's the that's one of the highest forms we have. If you want to communicate like really technical information to somebody, you write it down. Right? It's the clearest way. You don't just say, hmm, you know, mind meld, you know, no. You don't just say, Are you feeling it? Are you feeling that, you know, that, that computer program and how it... No, 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 you write it down. Now, where do we think we got language from? God gave it to us. Language is God's idea. The written written language is God's idea. He's given us a book. It seems so ordinary. A book? I mean, couldn't God just like, why, you know? No. It's, It's as ordinary as a baby in a manger. God loves to do his most powerful revelation through the most ordinary means. He's given us a book. Okay. Top of the page. Next page. Page three. So, what benefits come from prayerfully studying, trusting, and living God's word? I, I long for Mercy Hill Church to be a church that receives all these benefits. I mean, I, I, I've, I've tasted of these not anywhere near as much as I could, but I've, I've tasted of all, and that's why I put them down here. And I long to have you taste of all of these and experience all of these. It's so powerful. So what benefits come? Number one, we read the very words of God himself. I mean, think about that. If, if, I, if I came to your, let's say there's some like headline news special tonight that somebody was digging in their backyard and, and they found this capsule and it was, it was a document written by God to humanity. You'd all be intrigued, wouldn't you? Well, what is how interesting from God? That's really important. That's what this is. It's a written document from God to humanity. And so when we read the scriptures, we read the very words of God himself. 2 Timothy 3:16. Second, we learn perfect, flawless truth. Perfect, flawless truth about God. The world and us. Think about it like this. Let's say that we stacked up over here all the different sources of information that we have. Books, fiction, nonfiction, magazines, web articles, you know, Google stuff. It's all here. Uh, TV shows, radio shows. Here's all the source of information that we have. It's all right here. And then we say we want to pull out from that information those sources that are perfect and flawless. So no, no error. Because, you know, every error will harm you in some way. Okay, right? Every error will harm you. If you follow an error, it will produce some harm. So you want to pull out of this massive stack of information the sources that are flawless, that are perfect, that will not harm you in any way, that will only benefit you as you follow them. The only one we'll pull out of that stack is the Bible. This is the only perfect, flawless source of truth That we have. Now, that doesn't mean we don't use science. I am very grateful for science. That's how I can see, because I've got one contact that can read and one contact that can see far away. Okay, I'm really glad for science. I'm glad for economics. You know, we're glad for, you know, ethics. We're glad for all kinds of other ways that we, we gain information. God has given those to us and He's blessed us with them, and we should make use of them. But none of those are perfect or flawless. Okay, God's Word is perfect and flawless. So we learn perfect, flawless truth about God, the world, and us. We become wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. You can read that in 2 Timothy 3.15. Look it up this afternoon. This is huge. I mean, our burning question is, there's a God, okay, here I am, I've rebelled against him repeatedly, knowingly, premeditatedly, God's just, He's loving, but He's just. How can I be made right with God? How can I be forgiven? How can I be changed so I don't rebel so much anymore and I become progressively more in sync with Him? This book tells you how. This book tells you how. How you can be changed. How you can be forgiven. How you can have God rejoicing over you to do you good. And it's all through Jesus Christ. And so the main point of this book is Jesus. Jesus Christ came to the earth, lived, died, rose again. And if you will trust him, just it's trusting Jesus. You, you, not just believing facts about Jesus, but you, you receive him as your Lord. You're my Lord, Jesus. Whatever you say, you says goes. I'm, I'm, I'm yours. And you receive him as your Savior. You died on the cross. You've paid for my sins. I love you. I'm, I'm, be, forgive me. Change me. So you receive him as your Savior, your Lord, and as your prize. Knowing Jesus Christ is the highest joy any human being can experience. He is the joy you were made for. So that's what this book is all about. Becoming wise for salvation through faith in Jesus. Through this book we receive faith. Romans 10.17 says faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. I'll never forget driving a Jartran truck from Redding to Newport Beach, Redding, Northern California, Newport Beach, Southern California. Jan and I were moving. She was following me in her Ford Maverick, or I was was following her, one or the other. And I had my stack of promise cards with me from the Bible, okay? And we were going down there. The church down there said I could come on staff, but they said, we just can't pay you if you want to come and work for us. You know, on that basis, we'd love to have you. I said, sounds like a very good deal to me. So we went, you know, long story. But then it struck me halfway down. I'm sure it struck me before. It's like, what are we doing? And... And I pulled out some cards, and I'll never forget reading Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Do not anxiously look about you. I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. Surely I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. And faith came. I mean, God had told us to do this, so I don't want to make it sound like we're just being total idiots, okay? God had told us to. We're trying to be responsible, but he told us to. And on the drive down, he assured me with faith in his promise that he was there. He called us. He would take care of us. And he did. Totally took care of us in astonishing ways. But the point is, we receive faith. Is your faith weak right now? I would bet there's some of you here... This morning where things have happened this last week or the last few months that have been so hard, you're just like hanging on by your fingernails. You just are almost ready to throw in the towel, whatever that might mean. You just feel like you just have very little faith. And we all are there from time to time. I'm there from time to time. So what do you do? Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of Christ. Open up the scriptures. Say, help me. I believe, help my unbelief, which is a prayer that's in Mark chapter 9. I just read it for my readings this morning. He will meet you. He will comfort you. He will strengthen your faith. He loves you. He doesn't stand back and say, you've got such little faith. What's wrong with you? He says, come, ask me for help. I will meet you and strengthen your faith. Time and time again, I've turned to Jesus in his word and said, my heart's a wreck. I'm just empty. I need you. And he meets us. He'll give you faith. Okay. Mm, Ooh. Ooh. Okay. Uh, We're progressively freed from sin. John 8, 31 and 32. Oh, man. Do you have an area of sin in your life you'd like to be freed from? He will help you through the scriptures. Wow. We find encouragement and hope in Jesus. We receive more of the Holy Spirit. I'm going to go through these kind of rapid here. Look them up. Our souls are transformed. Our hearts rejoice in God. What I want you to see from this list is, do you see how much God loves us? Look at all the things he wants to do in our hearts. And he's given us the scriptures as the the channel through which this powerful work of his will come to us. All these benefits will come to us through the scriptures, through God's word. So here's what John Wesley said. John Wesley, one of my heroes, 1700s, Great Awakening in England. He said, I have thought I am a creature of a day. Now, well, all of that means is, from time to time, I've realized that I'm a temporary being. My life is short. That's what he's saying. Okay, I've thought I'm a creature of a day, passing through life as an arrow through the air. Fast, short, short life. I am a spirit, just hovering over the great gulf, until a few moments hence, I am no more seen. Okay, My life is short, Eternity's coming, I'm right on the brink. I drop into an unchangeable eternity. That's he knows. That's what what's coming. So I want to know one thing: the way to heaven, how to land safe on that happy shore. God Himself has condescended, has humbled Himself, lowered Himself to teach the way. Lowered Himself to us to teach the way. For this very end, He came from heaven. He has written it down in a book, the Bible. Oh, give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. I used to backpack, Okay, topographic maps, really helpful. So you're down in the middle of this canyon and you think, how do I get out of this canyon? A map is helpful. Get it oriented. Okay, it doesn't look like the way, but this is the way to go. This is how to get out of the canyon and, and back to you know, your car, take you home to a shower and good food again. Okay? So that's what topographic maps are for. We're in a canyon. Which way do we go? Here's the topographic map. God's told us the way to heaven, the way to salvation, the way to forgiveness in his word. So give me that book at any price. Give me the book of God. Okay, so that's the section on doctrine. That's what the Bible teaches about itself. Now, passions. How should this impact our hearts? Because we don't just want to do doctrines for the sake of knowing a lot of stuff in our, in our minds. We want to study doctrine so that our hearts will burn within us. And there's five here. When we rightly understand the doctrine of God's word, these first two actually should go together. We will desire and love God's word. We will value God's word. Uh, Turn to Psalm 19, verse 10, which is on page 456 in our Bibles. Page 456. Psalm 19, verse 10 David's just talked in verse 7 about the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. He's got all these descriptions of God's word. And then in verse 10, he says, More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. So I want you to imagine if you had over here this whole stack of like gold bars, like let's say like $50 billion worth, much fine gold right here. And then over here is the Bible, and you've got to choose one or the other. can't choose both, okay, in this analogy. You've got to choose one or the other. David would say, Phew, got the word, man. Are you kidding me? All right, that's going to last another 60 years, maybe. Okay, This lasts forever. This converts my soul. This brings me to the very presence of the living God. This gives me faith. This changes my heart. This enables me to overcome the power of sin. This guides me and directs me. This is the topographic map for life. I'll take this. Thank you. Now, do you feel that about this book? Do you feel that about this book? See, if you don't, then one of two things, uh, at least, are the case. Maybe you've never, maybe you haven't yet been born again, been been saved by God's power through the cross. Maybe you're just learning about these things, and and that's a good place. We're glad you're here. We're glad you're learning, because when you come to that place where you repent and put your trust in Jesus, God's power will transform your heart, and you will see this book for what it is, and then you'll be able to say with David, yes, I'll choose this over gold any day. If you've already been born again, and you've neglected this book, you also may say ho-hum about this book. And that's a sad place to be in, okay? Okay? So you may need to repent over that and ask the Lord to rekindle in your heart what David describes in Psalm 19. Followers of Jesus should love God's word. Love God's word. Like the psalmist says, oh how I love your law, it is my meditation all the day. So that's the first two passions. When we understand that this is the very words of God and what it will do in our hearts, desire, love, and value of God's word. Isaiah 66 says, here's the kind of people God pays attention to. Those who are humble and broken, contrite of spirit over their sinfulness and who tremble at God's word. So we've got desire, love and value. Trembling should also be in our hearts. Not not a cringing, servile trembling like we're afraid to open it. But we just realize when we're opening up the word, we're opening up the word of the, the God who's created the universe. The God in whose hand my destiny rests so, there should be an appropriate trembling. We'll feel dependent on God's word. Psalm 119, 105 says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. Okay? Pitch dark room. This book, you open it up, flashlight. Okay? You can see where to go. Or better if you do it this way, all right? Reading it. Okay? So, we feel dependent on God's word, and then we'll delight in God's word. Psalm 1, 2. How blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the ungodly, stand in the path of sinners, sit in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law he meditates day and night. So those are the passions. Desire, love, value, tremble, dependence, and delight in God's word. Doctrine, passions, and now practices. Practices. And I'm going to dwell on some of these more than others. And actually, we're not doing that bad on time here. What should we do? What's what's the big therefore here? Number one, repent and confess any neglect of God's word. I think probably many of us need to repent this morning over neglecting God's word. Um, can take many different forms. Um, if, if you haven't been devoted to God's Word, if, if maybe you've um, ignored it, maybe in your heart, frankly, you're more interested in watching a video, nothing wrong with watching videos from time to time, but if in your heart there's more excitement about watching a video than soaking your heart in the Word of God, I think you should repent over that and confess that before the Lord. I mean, think about it. I mean, really, think about it. More excitement, More excitement over a video than the Word of God? Uh, and i i feel that from time to time okay? I, I know exactly what that feels like i know from experience what that feels like okay but how could that possibly be and yet we feel that don't we it's like well you know i i've read the book a lot you know what's well, on tv and so i think we need to repent and confess any neglect of god's word i wouldn't be surprised if some of you have heard some of the da vinci code kind of stuff on television or wherever and it's it's produced a a bit of skepticism in your heart about the Bible. And I hope you've seen from the evidence that I've tried to bring before you that there's no basis for that view at all. And I would call you to, to repent before the Lord if you've allowed that kind of teaching to make you skeptical and make you less devoted to scriptures. I think you should repent and confess that before the Lord and ask him to set you free from it. So we need to repent and confess and neglect, confess... Repent and confess any neglect of God's word. And rely on Jesus' work on the cross to forgive, cleanse, and change you. Next one. Pray that God inclines your heart to his word. I love Psalm 18. Incline my heart to your word and not to selfish gain. It's a prayer that the psalmist prays. And I love that because... So let's say that you don't have that your heart isn't inclined to God's word. You really you think about oh, I just almost anything seems more appealing to me than than prayerfully thinking and studying over the Bible. Ask God to change your heart. See, he loves you. He knows the good that will come to you through his his word. He knows the good that'll come. And so say, "Father, would you incline my heart to your word?" I pray that almost every morning before I study the scriptures. Would you make me want your word more? I've still got pride in me. I've still got sin in me. Forgive me. Change my heart. Make me want your word more. And he will do that. I I promise you. I promise you. If you'll come before God through Jesus, not because of your own righteousness, but trusting in Jesus and say, Father, would you incline my heart to your word? And if you mean that, he'll do it. He will change your heart. So if your heart is not inclined to God's word now, your situation is not hopeless. It's full of hope because of what Psalm 119.18 says, which is the word. So be encouraged. Pray then that God opens your eyes to see the reality and glory and truths of his word. Open my eyes, Psalm 119.36, that I may behold wonderful things from your law. Open my eyes. Not, Not my physical eyes, Okay, they're always open when you're reading, you hope. That's how it works to read. Okay? But you're spiritualized, the eyes of your heart, the eyes that get blind by covetousness or by anger or by revenge or by hopelessness or by lust or whatever else it might be. Those things blind our spiritual eyes. For your study and memorization, I would encourage you to use a version that tells you what the original languages said, not what someone thinks they meant. There's lots of different versions out there, Um, lots of versions that are called paraphrases. And there, the translators have tried to tell you what they think the original words meant. And that can be helpful. I'm not saying you shouldn't use those. Use those for your study. But most of your study should be versions that kind of hold themselves back just to telling you what the words say and leaving it as it is. Just what the words say. I'm not going to interpret it for you. You get the straight words of God. You read it for yourself. So any Bible is better to read than no Bible. But I would encourage you for your study and memorization to use a version that's a literal translation. I use the ESV. NAS is helpful as well for that. Make time every day to prayerfully study God's word. Use a Bible reading schedule. We've got a bunch of them back there at the back. I put up here just to show you. Um, Because it'll take you through the Bible in a year. You'll read different parts every day. So it's not just one section. So you'll get a survey every day. You'll get different parts. There's a variety there. Don't get legalistic about this. What I mean by that is don't let it become a ritual. I did my reading for today. God's happy with me. Now, Now what do I get to do? No, 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 no. But if you don't want to do it, do you like just say, well, I'll pick it up again tomorrow. Maybe I'll want to tomorrow don't do that either. Here's what you do. If you don't feel like reading, confess that. Jesus, forgive me. Ask for Jesus' help. Incline my heart to your word. Open my eyes. Change my heart. And then do it right then with reliance on Jesus to change your heart. Now, before you turn your page over, I just want to camp on this. This is I, I just want to plead with you. Mercy Hill Church, I don't think I can overstate how absolutely essential this is. This is so crucial. Between now and heaven, here's one way to look at it, Satan has strategies to knock you off the road. Right? Hundreds of them. Thousands of them. This book makes you, what's the word? you feel like really strong and nothing can get you, Invincible! Yes, okay? This book makes you invincible. This book is the sword of the Spirit. Okay? We're talking like a... It's like a big old sword. Big old sword. You walk down the road, you're just like... ah, Okay? If you've got the book. If you're not in the Word every day, if you're not meditating on God's Word day and night, I think the Bible would say you have no reason to think you're going to make it to the end. No reason to think you can make it to the end. Are you kidding? Look at the road. Look at what you're going to be facing. You need God's word. He's he's given it to you. Everything you need will be here. In him, meeting him in the truths of the scriptures. So I just plead with you, you need to read the scriptures regularly. Don't let Anything get in the way of this. This is the foundation of your spiritual life. If you don't have this in place, it's going to be lukewarm, it's going to be up and down, it's going to be a rock, you're going to be boom, 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 boom. Oh, Christian life's so hard, you know. Well, I don't want to make fun, but I just, I just try to think of ways I could persuade you. This is absolutely important. You need to be in the Word of God on a regular basis. Have people pray for you, Put it in your schedule. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. That's the normal Christian life. Psalm 119. So please, please, be in the scriptures. Do this. For, for your soul's sake, for the sake of the strength of us as a church, for the sake of San Jose and the gospel here, for the sake of your eternity. Okay, I'm going to fly through the rest of these. How to read the Bible. Pray and ask God to teach you something you especially need that day. Read slowly and thoughtfully. Give it time. Mull it over. Ask, what's the author saying? That's the basic overarching question. Notice truth about God, about promises, doctrines, warnings, commands. Think and pray deeply over particular truths verses, passages. Ask, how would this change my thinking, feeling, living? The main goal is to behold Worship, trust, and obey God the Father and Jesus the Son. Don't let it become mechanical, just doing a religious ritual. It's to meet God the Father and Jesus. You read the next one on your own, the next one on your own. Lead your family in regular Bible reading and prayer, Deuteronomy 6, verse 7. Share the Word of God with people in your home group. Share the Word of God with people who don't yet know Jesus. Start memorizing crucial verses and passages. Psalm 119.11 Your word I have stored in my heart that I may not sin against you. Ah, oh, it's a wonderful promise. Listen carefully and prayerfully to the preaching of God's word. Turn to God's word whenever your heart has slipped away from joy and peace in Jesus. Find promises and truths that apply to your fears, worries, angers, and boredom. Pray over them until your faith in Jesus is strengthened. See the list of promises below. Flip over to the next page. I wanted to give you a, this is something that I've used from time to time, promises to praise. So see, these are all symptoms in the left-hand column, fear or worry, love of money, envy of others, preoccupation with some new gizmo, materialism, discouragement or depression, desire for praise from people, preoccupation with my work, inability to focus on Jesus, real guilt over recent sin, false guilt, boredom, fear for finances, and so on. And then on the right-hand side, these are promises that I have found helpful to pray to overcome these unbelieving attitudes of the heart in the left-hand column. And see, I would encourage you, whenever you find that your heart has moved off the, the true north of joy and peace in trusting Jesus, and it's drifted off to boredom, it's drifted off to lust, it's drifted off to envy, drifted off to just despondency, whatever it might be, don't just like, well, I'll feel better tomorrow. Go to God. Seek the Lord. Open up the scriptures. Fight the fight of faith. Find promises that will, that will deal with that particular area. And pray over those promises earnestly, passionately, humbly, relying on Jesus' work on the cross to use that promise to give you the faith that he's promised in Romans chapter 10, verse 17. And so what I do is I, I have a time in the Word in the morning, and then I'll open up the scriptures a couple of times, usually through the rest of the day, when I need some need my heart changed in something. Or if I'm getting dull spiritually, just open up and snack on something in the scriptures. That's what I would encourage you to do. Okay, let's stand together. Here's what I want us to end with. This is absolutely huge in terms of your spiritual life. And so I just want to call you to repent over any way that you need to confess before the Lord neglect of God's Word. Anyway, because I I want this morning to kind of be a watershed morning for Mercy Hill Church where in a fresh way we're saying, Jesus Christ, we see what you've said about your Word and we want to say yes. Incline our hearts to your Word. Open our eyes to see your Word. We need your grace to do this in us but we're going to repent before you that we've neglected, if you have, and I want to ask you to change my heart and to, to move upon me right now. And I want to encourage you, um, I'm going to pray in a moment, but you can just repent right where you are, just between you and Jesus. Some of you may want to make it more tangible, you can just come on up here and stand and re- or kneel, repent before the Lord, we'll have people to pray with you and for you. But I want to urge you to come clean before the Lord in any way that you've neglected his word. And let's ask God, by his grace, to make this morning a new leaf being turned, a new chapter in your life. A new chapter in the life of our church. Oh, how I love your law. It is my meditation all the day. So, Lord, would you come and move this upon us right now? Come and do the work. Give us repentance, Lord, where that's needed. Subdue our pride and and rebelliousness, Lord. Change our hearts. Forgive us for neglecting your word. What a gift you've given us. In the scriptures, think of the disciples saying, Jesus, where are we going to go? You have the words of eternal life. Some of us have have not responded the way the disciples did, and we have gone elsewhere. Forgive us, Jesus. Bring your power upon us right now. Bring repentance, bring confession where it's needed, and then bring cleansing, and bring renewal, and bring love for your word, and zeal for the scriptures like the psalmist had in Psalm 119.